Welcome to the Gateworld podcast. Welcome to episode number 138 of the Gateworld podcast. I'm David. I'm Diana. And this is the show where two nerds talk about Stargate. This week we're dissecting a classic episode, the Stargate SG-1 season 4 episode window of opportunity. You know, you the Stargate fans get together, you know, they talk about the show, they decide, you know, if, if they are going to get together, if they're going to have a, a rewatch party, two or three episodes to watch. This is the one that is almost guaranteed to be at the top of the list. Oh, absolutely. It's also a great way to introduce somebody to the series because, I mean, it's using a classic trope, the Groundhog Day trope. Mm-hmm. So you already have a structure in place that will make the new audience it's relatively familiar. Yeah. But what a great way to show something about all the characters. And I used this episode once to uh, get a get a person interested in the series to let her know what I was what I had been working on because she knew I had been a journalist for the show, and she was a big fan of Friends. So we sat down and pooled our favorite episodes of Stargate and Friends. I showed her Window of Opportunity first, and then she showed me I forget what it was about Friends, but it didn't obviously didn't stick. This is a great episode to use. First of all, Diana, how you doing? I'm doing all right. It's a busy semester. I've got my final edits from MGM for The Drift, which is kind of appropriate because there are little bits of uh, Windows of Opportunity that definitely influence The Drift. No, there's no time loop, but there's definitely some elements in there. And, uh, you know, it's it was 43 degrees this morning. I was a happy camper. Wow. Yeah. Fall has officially started. Yes, it has. Be very thankful that you live in a place where you actually notice it. Yes, the autumnal equinox. That's correct. All I can do is uh, take out my jack-o'-lanterns from storage and, and, and picture Missouri and Illinois. And So you got your notes. Yes, I do. Very tiny, very itty-bitty. Okay, so no, no, no sweeping rewrites. Oh, no, 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 no. I mean, MGM is, if you listen to last week's podcast, folks, mm-hmm. uh, what Melissa and I said was very true. They are uh, very respectful of the writer's craft. And the story we're trying to sell and tell, you know, and quite frankly, there's a couple of cases where uh, they caught a they they caught a typo, and I was very grateful. So hmm. I've always been very, very grateful for their notes. Nothing uh, particularly going on with me. Just uh, getting into the the rhythm of uh, podcast a week now. I'm uh, I'm excited about this, and uh, we have a special guest lined up for next week's show. We'll be revealing that at the end of the episode. Or you can go to the show notes now and have a look. <laughs> so, very excited about that. Let's talk about Window of Opportunity. The main discussion. Well, think about it. I mean, if you know in advance that everything is always going to go back to the way it was, then you could do anything for as long as you want without having to worry about consequences. Window of Opportunity, the fifth episode of season four, originally aired on Showtime the 4th of August uh, 2000, syndication date October the 15th, 2001, written by Joseph Malazzi and Paul Molly, and directed by Pita DeLuise. It features one of my favorite um, uh, guest performances on, uh, on the show. Robin Mosley played Malachi. Uh, Stargate SG-1, the villains were more... Um, flat than dynamic 
throughout the show. And that served its purpose with the gold, uh, bombastic and, you know, booming voices and, and just completely... Some of them were pretty cheesy. And they were evil for the sake of evil. That worked for this show because of the nature of what, the, what these guys were. Malachi was one of those villains that wasn't really a villain. And he, it was just a great balance to see that you didn't really see this much on stargate um and th- it was just a it was a great performance i think it really pulled on my heartstrings i rewatched the episode a couple of days ago and it was extremely effective yeah i mean really the the main source of antagonism the main villain of the episode is the time loop itself and them trying to overcome it but you know it's interesting i would agree with you about most of the characters staying flat and having no change he is a source. Malachi is definitely a source of it. He causes the antagonism. Yeah. He causes the problem. Um, but uh, the fact is that he has a motivation for what he's doing. And a lot of times the villains in Stargate SG-1 are, I'm evil because I'm evil. So, I want power. Right. You know? Exactly. In his case, he has a real desire, a real mm-hmm. want. And I think it's, it's a great example of a 21st century villain. Uh, yes. The, the must. This is one of the challenges with Stargate SG One is that predominantly its villains are evil for the sake of evil, versus uh, someone like Malachi, who is more like a 21st century villain, where we understand their motives. We understand. We not may not agree with their tactics, but we understand their reasons for doing what they're doing. So that in itself, for me, uh, certainly made me sit up and pay attention when that was revealed. Uh, so it's, it, it was a wonderful start. It was one of uh, Joe Malazzi and Paul Mulley's first, very first scripts for uh, Stargate. They pitched that and Scorched Earth when they came in for their very first session. Mm-hmm. Uh, Scorched Earth got written and sold first, but produced second. This got written and then, of course, produced first. But uh, what's also lovely about this is if you think about it in the scheme of the season... Uh, comes right after Divide and Conquer, in yeah. which we learn about some very uh, a secret that two main characters have been holding for several years. Mm-hmm. And there's certainly echoes of that in Windows of Opportunity. Absolutely, there is. There's a there's a one of the transitions is about that. Yeah, I was um, I was rewatching the episode the other day, and I just allowed the episode to to digest in my in my conscious mind against 350 some odd hours of all this other program that has since completed and this episode is a great balance of science humor um emotion and threads from previous stories i mean these guys did their their homework in in uh putting all this together it's got elements from the feature film in it yeah it and does. it's got elements from the fifth race in it yep and it harkens back to all of this stuff um, and one of the things that I think is is um, really beneficial from the from the perspective of Stargate Oblivion, which we discussed last week, is it it adds to the plague issue. More than likely, it, it has it had to do with the the plague the ancients were suffering. When you put all the pieces together later on, they were suffering from a cataclysm. They they used this device to try and and uh, thwart it, and in the end, it didn't work. Um, the ancients were trying to solve a problem at least on a planetary scale and it didn't work. They couldn't save themselves all around just a really, really well rounded, um, 
show. It's it's probably there there aren't many episodes of Stargate that I would say that I would go out on a limb and say they're perfect. And this one is. I think story-wise it's definitely perfect and character-wise absolutely. Um having rewatched it again this morning on my 55-inch screen uh <laughs> The effects, not so much. But you know what? I mean, it was the technology of the day. And for the technology of the day, it was terrific. But um, I do think, you know, going back to what you were saying about the plague and and that's what motivated this device, I could not agree more. Uh, I think it's uh, Daniel is interpreting some of the lettering that's on there. And uh, the implication is that they're trying to get back and stop the cataclysm from starting which mm-hmm. would point to a very specific event that happened with the plague that, that caused the plague. And the, tr- the drift mm-hmm. also, by the way, gets into this as well. Uh, okay. <laughs> but, you know, to get back to what we were saying about how there's echoes from Divide and Com- Conquer, obviously we are talking about Jack and Sam, although this is very much, this is Jack's story, so to speak, Jack, and to a certain extent, Tilk's story. And, I mean, the infamous uh, resigning from the air scene <laughs> demonstrates... So I can do yeah, this. Yes, you can do this. So um, no consequences. It demonstrates that this is still something that's going on in his head. It, there's, it has not been resolved. In fact, it's never resolved in the entire series, um, much to many people's frustration. But uh, it's a playful moment. I mean, Aaron Sorkin, who has wrote West Wing, uh, the president, he wrote uh, newsroom. Mm-hmm. He wrote, uh, social network. Uh, he w- once said that the best writing is where you write the comedy to get to the drama and you write the drama to get to the comedy. Now, obviously world, uh, windows of opportunity is predominantly a comedy episode, but because of that, when Jack just lashes out, toward the end and expresses that there's no way he would want to see his son again just to know he's going to have to witness yet again his son Mm -hmm. dying, that hits you in the gut. It's a phenomenal, powerful moment, and it's made powerful by the fact that you have been experiencing comedy up to that point. If it had all Mm -hmm. been a dramatic episode, you would have sort of expected this line. You would have sort Mm -hmm. of expected this dramatic beat. But it was very clever on the part of the writers to put this in there as a contrast to the humor of the episode. So, I mean, it's definitely a well-written episode, no question about it. Um, I think it's important to point out, though, that as as far as the writing is concerned, that it was a short episode, not as far as what we received on uh, viewing it or in the DVDs, but it was a good five to ten minutes short, no matter what they tried to do. Isn't that amazing, considering the number of cuts in that episode that you see? Yep. Uh, but it's healthy. Wow. I mean, it, when you have that uh, back against the wall, hurry up and come up with ideas, it can allow for some terrific um, mm-hmm. sparks of imagination on, on the part of the writers, on the part of the director, on the part of the actors. Uh, and they all had a part in adding some of those scenes to it. Uh, for instance, the wacko bit with the uh, happy faces with condiments, one of our favorite moments. That was Richard Dean Anderson's idea, I was, as was the pottery bit, because at the time he was dating somebody who was pushing him to take pottery classes with her. Uh, oh, jeez. Yeah. Peter DeLuise had been trying for years, because Peter DeLuise is the director. Uh, yep. You know, he's written 18 episodes for the series as well. He's actually one of my favorite writers of the series. 
and uh, he's been begging him, begging Richard Dean Anderson and uh, Christopher Judge, who are both master jugglers, to do juggling in an episode. They could never find the right moment. The show was short. Hence, you have that wonderful juggling sequence. Yeah. These are the things, you know, they don't necessarily move the episode forward, but they give the episode its strength at the same time. I'll, I mean, I, what, what year did I say? It was 2000. I mean, I was 17 years old when this episode came out, and I just remember sitting in my bedroom watching this thing for the first time and just laughing my guts out and saying, you know, internally to myself, this is why I, wa- I started getting into this series. And season four as a whole, it just got better and better. Oh no, yeah, they it's a great they really added a lot of ingredients in this season that made the show just lubricate. Yeah, no, it it's a, a terrific, great season. Um, but having uh, letting your actors have an opportunity to add li- lib like that is very mm-hmm. very healthy to uh, the vitality of an episode, and you can tell in this episode that. The characters are all there, they're on, the actors rather, they're on, they're in character, and getting to experience their quirks is just an absolute treat, and I think that's part of why we are all so fond of the episode. Uh, I had mentioned to you before we had started recording, um, another very famous science fiction series that had an ad-lib episode, believe it or not, was I Mud. Star Trek, Star the original Trek, series. The original Star Trek with the androids. There is the ridiculousness of, you know, they're going around trying to get the androids to shut down. And a lot of that was ad-libbed. And it's very wow. – and that playfulness came out in the, you know, the actors having that opportunity to ad-lib, to be playful, came out in the episode. And it was a fun episode. Um, ad-libbing is healthy, believe it or not. Now, there are some writers that would never, ever permit it. Uh, Aaron Sorkin comes to mind, but that's in part because of his dialogue, because it's all about the structure of his dialogue. But, uh, yeah. you know, I mean, Brad Wright and his team, they knew, they knew in this episode, and there's other opportunities as well that the actors were given to be playful. And when that happens and the actor gets to be uh, a parent of the character, I think we as the viewers really get to benefit. Absolutely. They're connecting. Yep. Exactly. You know, and it, it just makes sense exactly. to do that every once in a while. The problem with the sci-fi, you know, series and, and Star Trek, uh, the various incarnations, you know, Robert Picardo told me once that um, they weren't allowed to ad-lib on set. So when you told me that um, about the original series, I thought that was interesting because definitely in the later incarnations, even if they wanted to change one word, it had to go upstairs you know, to get approval, and sometimes days beforehand, before because Robert Picardo was one for ad libbing with the doctor, um, and it just it wouldn't always work out. So with Stargate, there was a I imagine there was a little bit more uh, flexibility. Well, in the early days, because of Richard Dean Anderson, you know, I mean, absolutely, he, he was insistent of that because he knew that sometimes in acting, the best stuff is just going to come up there. Same thing with the directors; the directors knew that as well. Um, there mm-hmm. is stuff that will happen on a set, unexpected, that you didn't know was going to happen, and it can really lend texture to an episode. And, you know, you were talking earlier about how, okay, this doesn't really move the story forward, but we have fun watching the characters. And really, isn't that what television is anyway? It's not about breadth as much as it's about depth. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. If you're so busy with getting from A to B to C to D, uh, what's the journey for? Right. 
Exactly. So. Exactly. But, you know, let's, I'd love to talk a second about the trope of Groundhog Day, uh, which, I mean, there are many, many television series that have explored this trope. But what is it about Stargate's window of opportunity that makes it so much more memorable than, say, uh, a Futurama episode or Haven's done it, Lost has done it, Medium's done it, Buffy the Vampire Slayer's done it, the list goes on and on and on. And there really are very few series that raise to this level of memorable. So what mm. is it? What is it about this particular version of Groundhog Day? I mean, you know it's Groundhog Day. You know they're going to... Of course. And they reference that near the end. That's right. So what is it about this particular episode that really just makes it rise above? I think for me, it's the fact that I love these particular characters. I can't speak to the other shows because, I, I mean, I saw Loss, obviously, but um, Futurama, you know, these... Uh, you know, Star Trek The Next Generation did it with um, uh, cause and effect, you know. There is something... But that was that was a very serious situation, whereas this is a comedy. Um, we've been with these characters for four years. We know their backstories. We know many of their quirks. To, to see them run amok and just do some unusual things was very exciting. In addition to that, one of the things that I loved, and that I think, I think they, they discussed this in the commentary, was that it's not Daniel and Sam who are trapped. Mm-hmm. It's Jack and Teal'c. That's right. It's not and the science geeks. It's not, it's not the science yes. geeks. So they take um, what we would normally expect and turn it inside out, turn it on its head. And we're given a very unique perspective from that. Whereas, I mean, Daniel and Carter, you know, they would have worked together to figure it out in, in 10 minutes. Right. Um, we get to wander we, with uh, Jack and Teal'c as they come to these conclusions and explore facets. Uh, Jack certainly more than Teal'c. It's definitely a Jack episode. Uh, facets of their personalities and of the, uh, the, the angst between all of the characters at that time. You know, the, the characters, uh, Jack and Daniel particularly, are, are perfect foils for one another. And every loop starts off with one of their classic you know, arguments. Of course, we don't find out what that was, but I think getting back to your getting back to your point, I think it's the individual characters who sell this particular episode. What about you? Well, I'd like to go back to something you said that I totally agree with. I think part of the fascination of this episode, with it being Jack and Teal, because of the four characters, they're the most under normal circumstances, the most um, disciplined, the most constrained, the most rigid, the mo- the strictest ones. Now, yeah. Jack has always been a little bit of a trickster, but in this episode, he just lets her rip. I mean, he intentionally lets Daniel get bowled over by... He uh, enjoys watching that. Yeah, he enjoys it, and he... Eventually, it wears out, but he lets him have it for who knows how long. That's right, and Tilk, I mean, my God, Tilk, uh, Tilk playing golf. I mean, Jack playing golf with the funny clothes is very fun. No question. Yeah. But it really is Tilk playing golf that, for me, just late, just cracked me up intensely. Brad Wright, by the way, came up with that bit. Absolutely. Yeah, Brad Wright <laughs> came up with that bit. And uh, it's... Uh, Bro, Neil, what the hell are you doing? Yeah. But it really is just Tilk's... Um, just you can tell he's enjoying he's it. He's going along with it. Yeah, he's having fun. You see, when he slams the door on the guy, the poor little guy, and yeah. he just has that satisfied smile on his face. 
Um, you, you know, there is a lot of wonderful fan fictions out there, by the way, exploring some of the loops that uh, we do not see on screen. Mm-hmm. And um, honestly, I never tire of reading them. They are just they're fun little flashes of insight into some mm-hmm. of the other things that may have happened during that time. I mean, they had to have slept at some point. They had to. They had to have. have yeah. They had to have eaten something other than cereal. Which, yeah. by the way, for those of you who have not listened to the DVD commentary, Peter DeLuise was an absolutely obsessed nut job about gluing yeah, the right the colored loops, loops to the right place so that every time Jack pulled up that spoon in the commissary, it, was the, same it was the exact loops. same thing. Right. <laughs> So. I'm not going to get you let you get away with this. You raised the question: what What is it about this particular episode that sells the time loop, the Groundhog Day trope, better than some of the other uh, episodes in this genre? Well, one, I think it's what I just said about the fact that these two characters just let her rip. But I think also, and this will help me segue into talking about another television series that I feel has very successfully handled the Groundhog Day trope. And that is, we get to see possibilities. We get to see glimmers of things that they're never going to Mm. really be able to explore in the series. They just Mm -hmm. can't because they do have to move down a certain line. There is an end, you know, there is a goalpost. There is certain things they can do. There are certain things they can't do, just like they had to have Jack resign in order to give that awesome kiss to Sam Carter. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Seeing Tilk be uh, a little uh, obnoxious and hit somebody in the face, you know, that's, Mm -hmm. they can't do that kind of stuff. So we got to see little hints of possibility. Um, And I also enjoyed Jack one-upping Daniel once he had learned the Latin, and that's a whole other conversation we can have. That is, yeah. You never see that in the show. No, you don't. But I think there's some motivations for it. But I think there is hints of possibilities here of, where the series could have gone in another another universe, so to speak. It was, I mean, it was the same, if you know, multiverses, alternative universes, alternative timelines. This is none of that. This is just the same hiccup over and over again. It's like the record scratching in epilogue or in Lost, uh, particularly Flashes Before Your Eyes. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's that same idea. It's just going back over the same moment, but... There's a certain freedom that happens and uh, for the characters, and we get to have a little fun for a moment and just not worry about the rules, so to speak. When Jack resigns from the Air Force, uh, that's basically a way for the writers to say to us, just let it go. Just have fun for a moment here. You know, Absolutely. Let's, let's, let's just have fun. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I mean, you know, it's funny because you are a huge Lost fan, and I'm certainly close behind and uh, their Groundhog Day episode was called Flashes Before Your Eyes. And yet that doesn't resonate for you the way that Windows of Opportunity does. It doesn't. I think, you know, even though it uses uh, the Groundhog Day trope, I think it's a very different entity. I think its objectives were, were different. So, um, and of course, you know, I mean, I've had year. I've, I grew up with Window of Opportunity. You know, mm-hmm. it was, that was uh, an episode that solidified my love for Stargate. So I, I hold it in a higher place on the, the shelf of my brain. Right. You know. Right. Yeah. But one of these other shows that, um, 
you know, I am I am so behind on on getting you to watch series. You've got me into what four, five now. <laughs> One of the other series that um, I'm beginning to digest is uh, Community, mm. and we've discussed it on the show before. It's currently airing. There is a is it a third season episode or a fourth season episode? Uh, well, it, the fourth season comes back on October nineteenth. Oh, I got it. Six seasons in a movie, and. <laughs> <laughs> And but yes, in fact, tonight is the Emmys. Uh, we're talking on a Sunday, the Sunday of the Emmys, and uh, their Groundhog Day episode has been, which is called Remedial Chaos Theory, has been nominated for an Emmy for writing, and uh, it's a long shot, but I'd love to see it win. Uh, it was also nominated for the Science Fiction Award, the Hugo. Neil Gaiman's Doctor Who episode one, but even Neil Gaiman, when he received the award, felt that Remedial Chaos Theory, the community, should have won. Wow, he admitted that. Yeah, oh, absolutely. And he also played into the joke that I don't want to give away for those who haven't seen it. Uh, But he did a a visual sight gag that was right out of the episode. But in that, uh, it's basically there's a housewarming going on for two of the characters who have moved in together, Troy and Abed. And uh, they play Yahtzee, and in the middle of playing Yahtzee, uh, the buzzer uh, downstairs, it's an apartment building, rings, and it's the pizza delivery guy, and uh, nobody wants to go down and get the pizza, so um, our leading man, uh, Jeff Winger, played by Joel McHale, takes up a die and assigns everybody a number, okay, you're one, two, three, four, et cetera, and whatever number it falls on, you have to go up and go get the pizza, and Abed, being the meta- uh, science fiction fan that he is points out that he, that basically Jeff is now creating six different timelines. Well, what happens is is we go through seven timelines because wow. there are seven main characters in the episode, and it is an opportunity for us to see different possibilities because they keep they'll keep hiccuping back to okay. You know, uh, the, the, the buzzer will ring on the pizza. Jeff will pick up the die, and it'll sign it, and he'll let it go. And each time it lands on a different number, a different character leaves the community, goes outside to get the pizza, and certain things start to happen the same but with different results. Isn't that interesting? And it is a, it's a crazy episode, and again, there are things that happen in these different timelines that – they could possibly happen in the original timeline, but maybe not. It is an opportunity to explore possibility, and it is very funny. It's also very dark, darkest timeline. Really? Yes, and uh, it's it's a great episode to introduce people to that are sci-fi fans to community. Um, I have I had a whole bunch of uh, alumni and students over when we wrapped up a log. I had a big party here and. A lot of us were community fans, and for those who had never watched it, we played that episode, and that was it. Everybody, that's wow. it. Everybody just got, they just fell in love with the series. And I would say oh, it wow. does. It's hysterical, just like SG One, uh, but it's very. It was not. I don't think it had ad lib by any means like SG One did because it's so complex. What happens? That in fact, you can go online and find uh, the uh, writers' room story maps that they did to map out all the different timelines. Uh, it was very intricate. But wow. uh, you know, I mean, how many rounds are there in, in Window of Opportunity? Twenty-two. Twenty-two. I finally sat down and collected them, and then I realized Darren had done that several years ago. But if you take for granted that the loop is ten hours long. 
and that the Toker were trying to contact Earth for at least three months, you have at least 220 loops. At least. And you really, I mean, how long was the day? It obviously started at breakfast. Uh, right. Military breakfast can be anywhere from 4.30 in the morning till 7 in the morning. Yeah. We don't even know what their shifts were. And um, I, I think it's implied at some point that they um, are eating later in the day, too. I mean, Jack is back in the commissary drinking coffee, and he's frustrated when Sam comes in to talk to him. Uh, yeah. Um, so, I mean, I, I can guess at least two meals. But, ha- I mean, when did they sleep? They had to... That, you know, that's the, one of the things that I was asking myself when, when you know, you brought that up and, and yesterday as well. If their bodies are resetting, they wouldn't necessarily have to because they wouldn't feel fatigued. They, they may be emotionally fatigued at the situation, at which point I'm sure they slept now and then, but their bodies necessarily didn't need any sleep. Ah, I see. Now here we get into the whole science of this whole thing. Everybody else totally reboots. Our memories are stored in our brain cells. Therefore, mm-hmm. if our brain cells reboot, our memories would re- Jack and uh, Jack and Teal's memories would reboot if their memory set, their brain cells, which is part of their organic tissue, mm-hmm. you know, brain matter. So, no, their bodies were not resetting. Okay. Okay. Um, although I seem to recall, there's a bit where Jack. There might be a little bit of a story hole here, which is always kind of fun to look at. There's the bit where Jack tries to record the conversation and then bring yes. it into the next loop. That's not him. But did he bring up trying to tattoo it or write it on his hand or something like that? This says something about Delblink, which I think yeah. was out at some point. You know, he's trying to come up with other ways to do it. And the only way that they realize that they're going to be able to do it is to um, memorize it in their heads. Right. Because their bodies are not being transported back through time right their brains are and keep in mind that the ink yes it's indelible but it is a layer on top of their organic tissue it is not their organic tissue Mm -hmm. so when they reboot their bodies what was with them at the time of the accident is all that remains that and their clothes and i think that that i don't know how you explain that one i think that's just one of those just go with it moments Mm -hmm. you know so, um, but yeah, the Latin bit, um, <laughs> Jack, you know, for, I mean, what does it say? Jack would still ask that later in the series and he should know what it would say. He learned Latin and he learned ancient during mm-hmm. a lot of those loops. Um, again, the drift actually points to this. There's a, a funny little, uh, riff between Daniel and Jack about this when they're looking at an obelisk with some ancient on it. And I'm not going to give it away. You got to read it to get it. Um, But I think Jack has some reasons behind why he has forgotten, so to speak, I put that in quotes, how to read those languages. The first uh, Stargate novel, Trial by Fire, also goes into that. In fact, he's speaking Latin pretty much fluently with with, uh, one of the... um I believe, if I recall correctly, one of the book's antagonists. So there are definitely fans who have taken that further um, in the in the novelizations. Yeah, I mean, I think you know, Jack is by name. I mean, it's the whole thing about Jack plays stupid on purpose. Because mm-hmm. he, but he's not. Oh, not by any stretch of the imagination. It's a strategy. Right. It's totally a strategy, and that's what my books have been exploring. Uh, and I mean, mm-hmm. it was a strategy of uh, the art of war. That's where it comes from. 
Mm-hmm. It is to let your enemy think that you are less than you are because then they'll let their guard down. But it's more than that. He also just likes to dick with people as well. You know, I mean, there there are situations when he's where he's clearly at the base, you know, just talking amongst his his um, his teammates. And he does things on purpose just to set them off. Absolutely. Absolutely. So one of the things that Darren brought up, uh, according to Carter's theory, everyone on every planet within the subspace bubble around 639 would be caught in the time loop um, that it caused. And those planets with stargates, Earth and, and 13 others, were able to access other gates within the system. But one of the things that I was thinking about in rewatching the episode was what kind of, you know, how far did these bubbles really extend and what kind of cosmological consequences might ensue because of this resetting of time again and again and again. I mean, astral bodies not being able to move around, you know? I mean, what what could potentially be the consequences of this? Yeah, I mean, it would have been it would be interesting to see how um people would have, on another planet might have been fighting the same war day after day after day mm-hmm. without being aware of it. Um mm-hmm. I think you could have a lot of fun with it. Definitely have a lot of fun with it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's a trope, it's a cliche, but it's not in the sense that it, it is. It, it's such a great. Uh, oh, it's so device. fresh in this episode. It, yeah, it's such a great device to use that if you bring your characters to it and truly commit your characters to it, as they did with start with Stargate SG One, mm-hmm. it becomes fresh all over again. And haven't you thought maybe there was a a day in our past that we had relived hundreds, maybe thousands of times over again because of something like this and never even knew it and just proceeded on to the next day completely unaware. I don't know. Sometimes it feels like that while I am aware. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I mean, I think, I think that's part of the charm of the trope is that we all have uh, times where we just feel like I've I've been through this. I've done all this. I believe I have to do this again. I mean, it's the, you know, history will repeat itself again and again and again. So yeah. um, I think that's why it resonates with us as consumers of story is that that feeling of things going over again and again and again. But, you know, I mean, I'm almost tempted after watching this and having this discussion to go watch again. It's been many, many years. Bill, the original Groundhog Day, it was a great mm-hmm. movie. It was mm-hmm. a great, great movie. Mm-hmm. I rewatched it about a year ago. It's something that I try and watch a year or two. My my uncle has a, a cameo in it. He was um, he he went up there and was an extra. So that's one of the reasons how I got into the movie originally. But oh. it's just a terrific show. Yep. So I mean, it's certainly all of these other tro- TV shows that have played to the trope certainly do an homage to it. Uh, Star Trek Enterprise, Next Generation, and Voyager all did stuff. Supernatural did one. Mm-hmm. Um, Xena, Smallville, uh, Red Dwarf, Painkiller Jane, you name it. They've all had their play. Eureka, which was a favorite series of mine. But I miss a lot. Buffy certainly played to it. Angel played to it. Um, and I don't think it's done. And I, don't, and I think that's okay. Mm-hmm. As long as they can give us the opportunity that Windows of Opportunity did to really see into the characters uh, mm-hmm. a little deeper. 
it's a great way to let that happen. So, and yes, I do recommend watching if you're curious about Community and you've never watched it. Watch the episode that's up for an Emmy tonight, Remedial Chaos Theory. You will laugh very hard. And that's window of opportunity. Excuse me, George. Colonel, what are you doing out of uniform? Handing you my resignation. Resigning? What for? So I can do this. What are you smiling at? Nothing. So, what's up next? Well, obviously, we've been returning to uh, one podcast a week, so Diana and I have been busily scooping together material to to keep that up. Podcast 139, we'll be looking back with Kate Hewlett. Kate Hewlett uh, is uh, David Hewlett's real-life sister. She played uh, Jeannie McKay on Stargate Atlantis. Like, five or six episodes she was in. Lovely character. She's fantastic. Mm -hmm. You know, I the first episode that I saw her in, I was like, okay, it's David Hewlett's real life sister. How much did did David Hewlett agree to do season three only if his sister, you know, guest starred? And Martin Garrow went and saw her in a play that she did because he was invited to go and see her. And, and Hewlett had made the comment, you know, because uh, he had changed brother to sister in the script for uh, season one's. Um, uh, letters from Pegasus. In the script, he was he was talking to a brother, and he just said, you know, I have a real-life sister who's also an actress. And they're like, okay, whatever, change it to sister just to appease this guy, and we're never going to hire her. And they were blown away by her, and they brought her in. And, I mean, I proceeded to be blown away by her as well. So we are uh, launching uh, a new way of, uh, of interacting with us today that is actually an old way, but it's a new way for us. You no longer send your emails to webmaster at gateworld.net. Now... You can send your emails to us to podcast at gateworld.net. And this week, your mission, should you choose to accept, is to send us a question to ask Kate Hewlett on the air. Additionally, you can leave us a voicemail, and we will play your question to Kate on the air and ask uh, it to her as well. Area code 951-262-1647. That's a voicemail inbox. You can leave us one day or night. And um, Kate will be with us next week and uh, we'll be sure to pass that uh, question along and she'll answer it on the air. The episode with Kate should be launching on Wednesday, October the 3rd. Do us a favor and uh, get your emails and voicemails for Kate to us no later than Friday the um, the 28th of uh, September, uh, end of day. I know it's a quick turnaround time. That's why we're getting this episode out as soon as we can. Um, but yeah, there's just a little bit of a window to do that. So I apologize if you missed that window. And the following week, I think we're going to be doing an open line night. So for those who have questions, but not necessarily for Kate, that's a great email address to use mm-hmm. as well. Podcast at gateworld.net. Yeah, absolutely. Submit your topic ideas, submit your questions, and we'll uh, we'll toss them around for a little bit. And we'll make announcements on Twitter and Facebook to folks that absolutely might too, and we'll do that in the next day or two. So, so there's a lot of stuff happening. We've got the open line nights. You know, there's there's um, it's it's a it's a great time to be a listener on the Gateworld podcast. Indeed. You know, this was such a, a nice little breather. You know, to go back and dissect a very specific episode of of the series. And, you know, if uh, there is a specific episode that you want to hear us cover, email us at podcast at gateworld.net and submit it to us. We will take it under um, uh, serious consideration. 
and uh, we you may hear us discussing it in uh, in uh, a future episode. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun to actually go back, rewatch, and rediscuss an episode after having some time off for it. I think uh, you know, as viewers, we continue to grow and change. Storytelling continues to grow and change, but does it really? You really have to wonder when a show like Windows of Opportunity is still such a classic and still resonates for fans of the mm-hmm. series and fans of great storytelling. Mm-hmm. There are some shows and some episodes that I watch and some movies that I watch that change as I get older. I perceive them differently. Window of Opportunity has always stayed the same, and that's for the better, I think. I, I agree. I agree. All right. Well, David, thank you so much for bringing up this topic. What a lot of fun to talk about. Great to great to discuss it. So this was episode 138 of the GateWorld podcast. We'll be talking to you next week. Uh, I'm David. This is Diana. And we'll be seeing you soon. Bye.